Our high school guidance counselor used to ask us what you would do if you had a million dollars. Didn't have to work. And then invariably, whatever you'd say, that was supposed to be your career. So if you wanted to fix old cars, then you're supposed to be an auto mechanic. So what did you say? I never had an answer. I guess that's why I'm working at Initech. No, you're working at Initech because that question is bull to begin with. If everyone listened to her, there'd be no janitors because no one would clean up if they had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Talking about millions of dollars. What would you do if you had a million dollars? I'll tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. We're living in a material world and I am a material girl. Or boy. Well, what about you now? What would you do? Besides two chicks at the same time? Well, yeah. Nothing. Nothing, huh? I would relax. I would sit on my ass all day. I would do nothing. Well, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing, man. Take a look at my cousin. He's broke. Don't do If I had a million dollars. If I had a million Hello and welcome back to Snacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Thomas Matt Weber on the board. On a dreary Tuesday here in Chicago, but at least we're not getting five feet of snow like the uh, Sierra Nevadas. That would be a lot, man. Do you think you can even really shovel it? Uh, that's too much to shovel. A little too much to shovel. We have uh, Mr. Brendan, Mr. Mr. Counselor Brendan. I'm here this morning, Chief. How are you? I'm doing all right. I got uh, interesting stuff to uh, talk to you about this morning. <laughs> there always seems to be interesting stuff. We're not really at a lack of, of uh, subjects these days, are we, to talk about? No, we're not. No, we're not. Not the least of which is, I th- are you going to be the quarterback for Notre Dame in their bowl game this year? Uh, Mr. Weber is a little younger. Uh, I'm a run-pass option, so they might like me because I can I can do a little bit of both. Nothing well, but I can I can at least do both. We actually yeah, you, you're as cheap as your wide receiver then. <laughs> we actually got a uh, email from one of my Notre Dame buddies who's uh and the and uh, lives in um, California and he was a football coach, so he keeps all over on his high school football and everything. The school that Jan Elway went to, there was a high school out there. I could have all the details, but just no no point in all the details, but. Evidently, he was, I don't know where the hell he grew up, but his dad was kind of a, I guess, some kind of a coach or something. But the school ran a serious passing attack in high school. And so Elway and his family, I guess maybe they were moving anyway, but they moved there to so go to that school and be the quarterback of that place. Well, now, here it is, <laughs> however many years later, the place is now a triple option joint. They don't even pass. They haven't passed like once all year. <laughs> Same school, so it's kind of... Amazing how coaching coaches change things, don't they? The uh, um, the I have a um, a question here. There's a there's an article here. I don't suppose you spotted it. I should have sent it to you last night. Where I'm kind of curious, uh, Brendan. I don't you know. I'm, I'm probably jumping you on this one, like I always do. But you always surprise with your knowledge. The, the the little kind of pissing match that's going on between Bahamas and the U.S. regarding the bankruptcy and so forth of this FTX place. Mm-hmm. I'm a is, I mean, where is that all coming from? I, I, I guess I don't know how, how uh, you know how cool we are with regulators in Bahamas, but evidently, FTX spent. This is an article here by Mackenzie Segalis and Rohan Goswami. Now I don't know about that guy, but we've we've uh, quoted stuff from her before. She she writes good articles, in one man's opinion. And evidently, these guys spent somewhere in the neighborhood of $256 dollars on properties in Bahamas. Which is, you know, it's a real scratch, right? I mean, I guess they had a, in a, build, in a building office building plus all his uh, 35 different properties where all these guys are living in and stuff. Uh, now, in the middle of this bankruptcy, and now the guy got, he got arrested yesterday, which is really weird this morning. They were talking about how he was arrested by the 
SEC. I don't see how the hell they have any ability to arrest anybody. But uh, maybe they use the justice. I don't know, I don't know how that will all work. Maybe you can comment on that too. But Bahamas, the Bahamas wants wants the property back. They want it. How, how do they get it back? It wasn't theirs to begin with, was it? I mean, our property rights. That why why in a bankruptcy when you're trying to maximize you know asset sales allegedly to give money back to the people who were harmed, like the like the uh, depositors and so forth. Why would Bahamas have, the Bahamas have any sort of claim at all to this property not just be sold and and give it up to the, the you know people who are aggrieved? I don't have an answer for that. I, I'm not sure how the laws in uh, the Bahamas work. At you. But you know, typically, you see a lot of the corporations, uh, the, the scam artists, go offshore so that they're out of the reach of creditors and out of the reach of U.S. law. And that's why you, you see, you know, companies establish a place like Bermuda or Bahamas so that they're extraterritorial and um, and still do business, qualify to do business in the United States, but avoid the reach of U.S. law and U.S. Uh, like the SEC or the FTC or, or grantees like that. So I don't have a good answer as to how they can try to retrieve the property. Since your Bahamas regulators are trying to claw back the property from FTX's U.S. bankruptcy protection proceedings, telling a Delaware federal bankruptcy judge that allowing the properties to be administered in U.S. courts to be both administratively ineffective and illegal under Bahamas law, I guess I could understand if... Uh, if there were people in Bahamas that were harmed and they want to, with the property, they might want to give them. But how, how the Bahamas just ends up with the property that's worth that kind of money when this guy paid that to a third party originally? How they how do they get in the fight? I have no idea in terms of actual value. I don't, I don't know either. But you know that when there's a lot of money involved like that, people get their hands out and try to get it back any way they can. <laughs> yeah, the... Uh, it's, it's amazing. So it says the Bahamas has more than 700 islands and K's. What, what's a K? I don't know what a K is. Remote workers, and there's K's in Florida too, right? It's like an island without water. What, what's a K? I have no idea. Remote workers and students. I don't know. It says remote workers and students could live on 16 of them, including uh, the Luthera. I got some islands shown here. The only one I was ever on was, uh, where's, where's uh, Michael Jordan's place? Atlanta. Is that on NASA? That must be NASA. I think so, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, that's Nassau. Yeah, but this is this is really kind of weird. Have you been following this this thing all, at all with this, these people at FT? Now the SEC is all involved, and I really don't understand Bren, how they how they get involved. I don't see how they got involved in the Bernie Madoff situation. I mean, people go to these places because they don't want a regulator. Then when they get mm-hmm. screwed, they say, "Where's the regulator?" And the regulator jumps in and like in- increases their power. It, I'm, not, I'm just kind of not for it, to be honest with you, but. I mean, these guys were in. They were in Chicago. FTX was in Chicago, and they left on purpose, and nobody cared. Oh, I don't care. I'll send my money to the Bahamas. Well, maybe you should care. I mean, I mean, we. I'm not as well. My brother pays the bills, so uh, we, there's actually a, a, an increased, I'll say, tax fee on broker dealers for the money they paid, the SEC paid out to uh, make some of the the. Uh, Bernie Madoff people whole. Brennan, that was a hedge fund. It was a carve out from the act. Those were people who had their own attorneys that were that were high end clients with you know two hundred fifty thousand or hundred thousand a year, whatever the hell it was at those times, to be to be not re regulated. Why the hell should we be paying for them? I don't have an answer for that one either. <laughs> well, I mean, it's 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 sort of it's, it's kind of weird. Remember that that bad facts make bad laws. 
And any time that you have something like Bernie Madoff scheme, you wonder how did he get away with it for so long uh, as a Ponzi scheme. And the same thing now with uh, with FTX and in this situation, when when you have that much money at stake, someone's going to look around and say, "How did this happen? How did this much money uh, get swindled from from investors? And, and how do we get taken in that?" So now everybody's going to come out and start looking for ways to get the money back and show that they are effective as regulators. Well, I uh, it, it really I, mean, I, I don't know. I guess I have the same self side mentality you do in a lot of ways. That if if I say to somebody. I mean, if you if you let's put it this way, if you come to PTI Securities or uh, Wall Street Advisors, our money management firm, come to one of those places. <clears throat> we are regulated place. We're we're a member of FINRA. We're a me- well, I guess NASD. FINRA is a regulatory authority, but we're we're a member of the NASD, regulated by FINRA and the SEC and God knows who else. We pay for that, and oh by the way, you pay for that <clears throat> every time you. Do a trade, there's you know whatever a, a tenth of a cent or some something goes to those guys. Something you're paying for, something we're paying for, and it's a system that is, you know, maybe not totally perfect, but it's pretty damn good. And if somebody says, you know what, screw that, I'm going outside the system. You know, oh, by the way, I got my own lawyers. Don't talk to me. I'm going to go after these people myself. They got something going. I like them. I know they're not regulated. They're not paying. I'm not paying. I'm doing it myself. Screw you. And something happens, everybody starts whining. It's like a soccer game where everybody, fall, everybody flops. <laughs> I mean, wh- why can't we just say, I mean, uh, in the, I mean, it's probably not politically correct, but my buddy Marty O'Connell, who I learned most of my option stuff from and hope he's still doing well, guys dropped dead brilliant. <laughs> His comment on Madoff was, they thought Bernie had an angle and he had a pigeon and he did stuff. Somebody else, you know, didn't know what he was doing, and he made money because he was putting one over on everybody. It turned out he's put one over on them, mm-hmm. but they were, they were perfectly happy with him putting something over on somebody else. What yeah, became, as long what, as it's not me, as long <laughs> as it's not me, and uh, you know, Bernie had an well, angle. That old adage: if something seems too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah, well, it's uh, well, it's the same thing with the guys from uh, <clears throat> where the hell were they? Uh, Orange County. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is making three percent, and He's making seven, and uh, nobody, nobody said, nobody ever said, "Geez, how the hell do you make seven on on, on U.S. securities or something?" But uh, yeah, hey, I got, well, a qu- I got a guy, and my guy is so smart that we're going to make so much money that uh, you know, we we can overlook the, the little cut into the corners until you don't. Hey, I got a question for you guys, basketball dudes that you are. I have a team here. I'm just Discord Digest. Now, now, notice, I have two questions for you guys. <clears throat> Somewhat, one's a trivia question. In the history of baseball, did something ever happen where there wasn't a, a rule to cover it? In organized baseball. Not necessarily major league, but high minors. Was there an incident that there was no rule? I am guessing that because you asked that question that that has happened. But if you ask me what it was, the rule wasn't there to cover it. I cannot give you the example. Well, evidently, in uh, one of the AAA teams, somewhere in New Jersey or someplace, uh, <clears throat> they had a guy who was a pitcher that could pitch from, with either arm. Oh, this is the ambidextrous guy. I, I yeah. heard about this guy. Well then, well, then he came across a batter who was a switch hitter. Mm-hmm. So the pitcher had a glove that he could put on either hand, and he he gets up there, and a batter is in the le- what, a left-hander batter's box, so the guy 
puts the glove on his right hand, he goes to pitch left hand, and the batter walks over. When the pitcher flips his glove to the other hand. Well, this went on for a while to finally the umps conferred, and they said that the batter had to declare first because there was no rule. Well, evidently, and then there became a rule, and the rule is exactly the opposite of what the ump said the pitcher has to declare first. <laughs> Which probably makes more sense, you think. Where's one for old guys and new guys? Um, somebody writes into the Quora Digest, and he says, this is the, his top five team in baseball. Can you put a team together that would beat them? In baseball or basketball? Oh, I'm sorry, baseball. Um, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Shaq, and Tim Duncan. Pretty good team. I mean, <laughs> not much to criticize there. So this guy says, <clears throat> I'll, I'll beat them or be as good. Oscar, <clears throat> Jerry West, LeBron, Giannis. Is that how you pronounce his name, Eddie? Oh, the guy Giannis. 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 And Wilt. What do you like? Another very good team. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards number two. Team two. I think a, a, a front line of Wilt, LeBron, and Giannis, holy, holy bleep. <laughs> it's about as tough as you can get. Yeah, I definitely like the front line better on Team 2, and I like the guards better on Team 1. And you can't, I mean, obviously both teams are, are great at every position, but um, the f- no one on either team can guard Giannis. <laughs> yeah. And if, and if we're talking in their primes, no one on either team can guard LeBron. That said, no one on either team can guard Michael Jordan either. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously it's all just uh, um, you know subjective here. But <laughs> well, the guy who wrote well, it said that, that that's true, and I and I agree with everything Manny just said. The other thing though is how many balls do you get to use? Because when yeah. you look at a team like uh, with Michael Jordan. And well, yeah, that's Magic it. and Larry at least are are passers. No one else mm-hmm. that you mentioned is a passer. <laughs> So they're all going to shoot. Well, Oscar is a serious I mean, passer. Oscar is a good passer, but he he also likes to score. Um, Magic, I always considered to be a pass first guy. Larry, you know, could certainly score, but he was kind of a pass first guy too. MJ was a black hole. LeBron's kind of a pass first guy. I don't know. Maybe I take back what I said. Well, I mean, it's a. I mean, the guy that said the, the wild card in here he says Oscar is actually as big as Jordan, maybe even bigger, and was really good on defense. So. You know, they, they had that one is almost kind of a wash. I mean, they could be the two best, whatever. But they said that this guy thought that the the, the uh, wild card was Wilt. In his prime, in his prime, he was the top of the gene pool. He was. I would like to see yeah, him match up with Shaq and see when they're both at their prime, who would actually be better. Mm-hmm. The only thing I would say about and you don't know. The only thing I would say is is it, depending on the pace of the game, Wilt was in extremely better shape than Shaq. He get up and down the floor when he was in his prime. He, well, Sha- young Shaq was in good shape. Older Shaq was not. Right, but I mean, Will was. You know, Will could run forty yard dashes in college. I don't think Shaq ever could. No, I'm just. But they're both incredible people. I mean, anyway, it, this would be it. What is one hell of a game to watch, wouldn't it? Yeah, it sure would. The uh, so uh, I, I keep looking, Brendan. Are you uh, sneaking your name into the mayor list here in Chicago? <laughs> You know, unfortunately, it's too late for that. Um, uh, the, the petitions have already been filed. The actual challenges are being done right now. So I, I think it's a little bit too late for me to get into the mix. Now, when I say uh, a challenge, I was looking because uh, our buddy Eric May 
I'm sure he's going to come back on, hopefully by the end of the year, and uh, talk about because he's he's working real hard for his uh, significant other is running for alder person in the fifth ward, and she landed right in the middle of the pack of like 13 people. Brandon, I don't know how bad that is, but uh, she's not one or, or last. She's right back, right in the middle. Um, but he no, and then they if you, if you took a look at the list of the 13 people, there's like three people that are it says challenged. People are challenged. How do you, how do you how exactly do you do that? Is there a place where you have to file to challenge, or do you have to challenge, or I mean, how, how does somebody somebody slide through and some people challenge? I mean, you, like an alderman, I think you only need like five hundred signatures. So what you put in a thousand, yeah, you know, an, an opponent an opponent can challenge the signatures of somebody who has filed. And I I, I don't know if the rules uh, are still the same, but I think that it used to be that only an alderman or an aldermanic's campaign can challenge. Like. Uh, in the, the one case of the mayoral election between Jamal Green and uh, Willie Wilson, I think it's a formal complaint filed by Wilson's campaign against Jamal Green and vice versa. And then they have to they go in and say, well, look at look at these signature sheets. It's obvious that what they did was they had five people, six people sitting around the table and passing it along with people's names from the from the city, and so that every seventh name is the same handwriting as seven before that. Um, and then somebody signs that they verified that those are the signatures that they got, but it's obvious that you've got just a, a room full of people signing signatures. Well, aren't there firms? That's one way to do it. Or the people aren't uh, aren't correct in the way that they uh, notarize their, that they obtain the signatures correctly. Well, when uh, John's uh, wife, Bridget, originally ran for judge, she went out and got a bunch of signatures. Of course, she's out there getting signatures, and she's pregnant. She's on the L station. Somehow, even though she went to some attorney that supposedly specialized in this, the the heading wasn't exactly correct. It was off a period or, or a comma or something. Mm-hmm. She had to draw over again. I mean, but even the people who aren't, I mean, if, if you or I wanted to run, aren't there people we can go to and they'll go get the signatures for us, allegedly? And uh, we'll actually do all the... Did we just lose Brendan? Anyway, I think there are firms that... Uh, to do that, um, so we'll bring them back here in a second. It's it's really quite the uh, quite the choreography here in Chicago to run for anything. And Brennan comes back. I'm going to ask him if he can actually do a write-in. I, I wonder if he can. I bet you can't, but uh, maybe you can. The because uh, this this mayor election is going to be in February. Of course, they pick the worst month of the year weather-wise. Well, maybe not the worst, but close. And uh, they make it, it might so be the worst. They might be the worst, depending on depending on the year. But uh, they, you know, the object is not to get people to the polls; it's to get, it's to not get people to polls. So the city workers and those people can st- can definitely, uh, you know, open up the kind of control the deal. I mean, if you're if you get the teachers union for you, or the best was the county people used to get the day off to go vote. You know, well, that's a that's somewhat of an advantage, you would think. And um, you know, it's just a uh, you know kind of a, a crazy way we go about this. It's and we all talk about inclusiveness. It's all about getting people to vote for me. It's not about everybody really voting. Brennan, you're back. I'm back. You hung up on me. Well, we've been having some phone issues. I'm, AT&T is not my, my, my best corporation right now. Uh, so you stuff, were talking about the woman on the L platform who was pregnant and getting signatures. Yeah, and of course they challenged, and the top was, so she had to go get them all over again. And uh, so, But I'm saying is, is this is really kind of this, this game... But aren't there firms that will do all that for you, actually go out and get the, the signatures if you want them to? Uh, yes, there are. You, you can hire people, and that's one of the 
the, the things that has happened a lot where people pay people to go out and get signatures. And in some cases, uh, the people, you know, they get paid by the signatures. Like Charles Dickens, you can pay by the word that you write. So that by the number of signatures they collect is how they get paid. And that's also laid the groundwork for a lot of challenges that maybe they didn't do it quite the right way because of wanting to get paid. Imagine that, a conflict of interest in Chicago. Well, the, uh, <coughs> the lady... But you're right that there are firms that, that, talk, that do this on both sides. I mean, there are firms that uh, stipulate how the petitions need to be prepared. And there are other people, for example, Michael Casper, who was instrumental in getting Rahm on. I remember when Rahm was challenged for his residency. And, yeah. uh, and he, he was able to, to run for mayor because his wife left a dress in the attic of their house when he went to D.C. to uh, to be uh, chief of staff for Bill Clinton. Um, it was it was uh, Obama. Or Obama, yeah. Yeah, no, that one. You know, I'm not. Uh, I'm, not I'm not a huge Ram fan, but I think going to to, to uh, take an appointment in Washington for a while shouldn't blow your home address. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I didn't. I mean, like I said, I'm not a Ram fan, but I thought that was somewhat unfair. I mean, what are you supposed to do? Well, politics ain't beanbag. Well, I know, but I mean, if I mean, <laughs> if, you know, if if the if the Brendan uh, Mansion here is, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, whatever Biden says, come on out here for a year and be my Secretary of Treasury or something, and you do it and rent the house out to your brother, that doesn't mean you left. I don't think. I I agree. Because then again, Ram, who knows? But uh, then again, I like you more than I like Ram, so maybe that's maybe that's a uh, part of my opinion, but. Can you can you write in on these things or no? Does the city allow write-ins? I'm sorry. Does the city allow write-ins? The city doesn't allow write-ins. Even with, so, somebody could conceivably win without any without a petition or not being on the ballot. Well, they could. That that would be sort of like Elisa Murkowski in Alaska, where she won as a write-in uh, once or twice in her election when she was defeated earlier. But yes, it is possible, but highly unlikely given the size of the city of Chicago and the number of write-in votes you would need. Well, I mean. But, you, know, you might you might be able to get into the runoff. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. Well, now if you, if you win the, if you do as a write-in, they got to put you on the ballot in the runoff, don't they? Um, you know that's like the ambidextrous pitcher. I don't know if they've got a rule to cover that. Well, if if, if you know it's a runoff and you go in there with like one name on the ballot, that would look a little weird. It would. It would, but I'm sure that it would be challenged if if somehow. Uh, Matty Weber got in there as a, a writing candidate. I don't know that he would have to be on the, uh, the, the runoff ballot. In some of these wards, it, well, if you take the, I don't think there's 3 million people in the city, but say there are, divided by 50 is what, 60,000 a ward? Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so if you've got 20 people running, and out of 60,000, let's say, uh, 40,000 are a voting age and 20% of those vote at, at best you're down to uh, what 8,000 and you got 20 people running what do you need to be in a runoff a couple hundred well we want a couple hundred of 8,000 voters 20 people I don't know there's some wards that probably 8,000 people don't vote yeah I'm sure so you really don't need I mean, the city thing, everybody talks about, you know, Lori, you know, she doesn't have a chance. I, I, I bet she makes the runoff. Oh, I, I think she has a chance because she's, um, 
because she's the incumbent. She can she can do some things, and I think that uh, you know, the other guy who's got a, a better chance than he normally would have is Paul Vallis. Why is that? He's a white guy from Beverly. All right, well, I mean... Uh, He's the only white guy on the ballot. Really? Mm-hmm. What happened to, like, uh, Bill Daly and those people? Why are they all, nobody wants a job, or what? Uh, well, I, I don't know why, but none of them uh, submitted applications or, or petitions for the mayorship, mayorship. Do you, uh... Well, I mean, if she ran, she got, uh... Well, she was number one in the in the in the primary last time, right? In a city the size of Chicago, I think it was like ninety-two or ninety-five thousand votes. Well, I have to believe as the incumbent, she's going to do that again, which means she'll be in a runoff. Now, whether she gets clobbered in a runoff is uh, another issue. But um, right, and, but but look at look at the different dynamics. For example, in uh, when Rom was in the runoff against Chuy Garcia. Um, the progressive side and the, the teachers union was behind Chuy Garcia. And this time, the unions are split pretty dramatically between Chuy and Brandon Johnson. And so you don't have the, the, the solid union vote behind a progressive candidate. And you look at some of the other aldermen who are running. There's a number of aldermen who have their own little fiefdoms in their own little wards, but does that translate? For example, Sophia King from the fourth ward on the south side. Does she will she have the, the poll in the forty ninth ward on the north side? I think they don't even know who the hell she is in the forty ninth ward. Base. What's that? I don't think they know who the hell she is in the forty ninth ward. I don't. No, but, but that's my point. It can an alderman from you know the north side pull votes from the south side? Whereas Lori with name recognition, yes, she can, uh, and and Paul Vallis will, Chewy will. But, uh, you know, for most of them, they don't have a chance of going outside of their little victims or their little, uh, their, their, their own base. Uh, so they, but they can also split the vote. For example, Brandon Johnson, who's got the support of the Chicago Teachers Union, can draw citywide because of the Teachers Union support. But who does that take votes away from? That was one of the reasons why you saw Ray Lopez drop out. And, I mean, to his credit, Ray Lopez said, look, I think that I'd be the best mayor. However, I'm looking at the field of candidates, and I know that the more candidates that are in the primary, the less likely it is that Lori Lightfoot will be defeated or uh, will not make the runoff. Well, plus, the easiest so was going to be a, you got to take votes from Chewy. Right. We're going to dash the break here, Brennan. If you can hang out for a bit, that'd be cool. SP Futures up 21, NASA Futures up 66. We're trying to be two days in a row here before the, the big number comes out at 7.30, but... You know, if you're a conspiracy theorist, you say it already leaked. That's why we're up so much yesterday and today. Uh, if not, you would say, well, who knows? It might just, uh, they might be wrong. We'll see. We'll be right back. Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. 
Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands. But you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, everybody. Stocks and jocks. I'm Tom Amos. Matt Weber on the board. SP futures up 22.75. Those are the March futures. They're both both still trading. They're March and December, but they'll be uh, flipping this week. So it'll just be March at the end of the week. Uh, Dow futures up uh, 193 individual stocks in the Dow that are up a little bit of a chunk. Microsoft's up 259, Merck up 203, uh, CVX up 121. We've got Boeing up 427 as the one of the headlines. The United Airlines is buying at least 100 Boeing Dreamliners to replace aging widebody jets. Uh, you know, Boeing, uh, they haven't really been able to deliver any. They just started, I think, delivering on the Dreamliners. Those were not being delivered for a year and a half or two. You wonder if Boeing is on foot or horseback these days. It's not, not the same airline or company it used to be. At least it doesn't appear by the headlines. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX up on 11.8%. These guys were all real snoozy yesterday, as were we, and then we ran up in the afternoon. A FTSE up 28.4%. CAC around up 44.7%. So moderately higher through the whole European area. Nikkei up 112.4%. Shanghai down 2, call that flat. Hang Seng up 132, that's 0.7%. They're still... Middle 19,000s, 19,596 after being middle 14,000s. Tomorrow I'll go back and find that date where they traded 14,4. It was one day long ago. Yesterday, uh, Dow was up 5,28, so a big day. S&P up uh, 56, and NASDAQ up 139. NASDAQ a little bit of a laggard. It's a, it's really a, a serious blue chip rally now. It's not the fangs anymore. It's a blue chip, at least anymore like it was in yesterday. Ten-year down three basis points, 358. The Bund unchanged, 193. Japan unchanged 0.25. So what the the market, the message the market's giving you, which might be the wrong message, is that the Fed's going to come in very dovish. They're going to do a half a point, and they're going to say, hey, we're going to wait and see. Looks like we're making progress on inflation, blah, 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 blah. And they're going to they're going to give you the, the idea that they may be going to stop, even though they, then they'll also say, we're not going to stop. So it's going to, it's kind of a mixed bag. Oil up 37 cents, 73.54. Brent up 60 cents, 78.59. These are Obviously, way below the 100, 110, 120 quotes that people have been giving you. Natural gas up 17 cents, or up to 676. We've got gold up 670, 17.99, trying to get back over 1800. Fairly resilient, up at this higher level. Silver up 21 cents, 23.61. Copper up 2 cents, 382. We have Bitcoin 
up 353, back up over 17,000, 17,433. And we've got uh, the U.S. dollar is, you know, it's slightly... Uh, weaker against the euro in four four thousands but um again it's slightly weaker we call it almost flat uh maddie Force traffic weather sports 36 minutes past the hour good morning uh, to everyone out there we're off to a pretty good start here on a tuesday morning no issues coming in on the edens or kennedy eisenhower traffic starting to build but no accidents to report same for the stevenson south side expressways are all quiet the sabo lakeshore drive looking good in both directions we have two issues to report off the expressways one uh, we have a rollover crash on the south side, 79th Street at Harlem, uh, that has crews on the scene. And then on the north side, Macho's Avenue between California and Francisco is closed due to police activity. Uh, police are investigating an earlier shooting that has the number 78 Macho's buses temporarily rerouted. Um, so uh, you'll have to avoid that area or navigate around it there on the north side. Everything else all quiet out there. Weather today. Uh, a cloudy, uh, cold day, overcast skies, a high of 42. Right now it's cloudy and 37 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, partly cloudy skies with a high of 53 today. Right now it's clear and 45. In sports, quiet night last night for uh, most of our local teams. Blackhawks were off, uh, so were the Coyotes. Blackhawks host the Capitals tonight, 8 p.m. puck drop at the United Center. Coyotes are in San Jose. Bulls were off as well. They're back in action tomorrow night as the Knicks come to town. Suns were off. They'll, ho- uh, they'll, they'll travel to Houston and take on the Rockets tonight. And lastly, Monday Night Football, it was the Patriots blowing out the Cardinals 27-13. Chief. I'll bet it here. Uh, quarterback get hurt. I think he tore his ACL, so I think he's out. That's, uh, that's like the first time in a real long time I've seen a non-contact injury on a on a natural grass field that's severe. Yeah, it was weird, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Usually you don't see that on a natural grass field, but his his knee just gave out. He was trying to shake a defender in the open field, and his knee just gave out, and he collapsed to the ground. There wasn't a guy within 10 feet of him. Yeah. Um, I, that's, boy, that's awful. Um, did you uh, – you didn't happen to watch the Bulls game Sunday night, did you? Without – you're more of a fan than me. The end of that game, was that bizarre or what? It was. I saw the highlights. Uh, the Bulls did really well to take the lead there with a second left, up one, and then to give up a an, basically an out an inbounds alley-oop pass at the buzzer. Uh, that was that was pretty bad because you knew exactly what they were going to try to do. Well, which was, which was dumber, the guy on the other team doing the foul on the Hail Mary three-pointer with .5 seconds left, or, or the Bulls letting... <laughs> I mean, one that that was that was one of the dumbest plays I ever saw. A foul, uh, Rosen. The Rosen. Yeah, it was. Anyway, was a, was hopefully you didn't watch it, uh, uh, Brendan, because it, it was it was a uh, it was pretty bad. Uh, what, uh, Brendan? What do you what do you think is going to? I don't I don't really see anybody on that list that I see as a person who can change the city around. I mean, I think we need somebody. I don't. I don't either. I think it's a very very um, milk toast type. Of Challenge to her. Uh, the one who intrigues well, the one who intrigues me the most is uh, uh, Chewy. Is what he's going to do, giving up his position in Washington only because. And, but you know, I, I have kind of a, a prejudice against somebody who makes a change like that only when he knows he won. Like, he had a safe job in in uh, Washington until he knew that the Democrats lost the House, and so he didn't want to be in the minority in the House for two years, but then he gave it up to try to become mayor of the city of Chicago. Oh, so, so, so he, didn't, yeah. he didn't run. He's, he's the not, he didn't run what? in the last... I, I didn't know that. He did not run in the last... Uh, 
uh, U.S. Congress election a few weeks oh, no, ago? No, he did. He got elected. Oh, sorry, he, he got elected. elected. I thought he did, too. So he's, he's safe. He is safe. That was the point I was about to make. Yeah. He waited until he was safe, and he knew that, that he had a job for the next two years before he decided to run for mayor. Well, with 100 people in the field, I don't blame him. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I know, I, I, you and I may think he should have done something different to tell everybody he was concentrating on this, but in, in reality, I mean, uh, why would you give I mean, uh, Keith Peacock in Orland didn't didn't resign from mayor to run for state, uh, for, for Congress. Why would you? Well, no, but I'm saying that, that, that it's interesting to me that if Chewy, well, of course, because of the election cycles, it, it does make things a little bit different. But, um, you know, had the Democrats won or retained the House, would he have decided to run for mayor? I don't know. But it, it's just interesting that, that he also kind of screwed up the progressives, uh, who and like the CTU, who split and are going for Brandon Johnson as well as instead of for Chewy this time around, but he split the union vote. So really, what's the real purpose here? Is it self-aggrandizement to become mayor in your own right, or is it really for the benefit of the people of Chicago? Well, uh, Brandon, I know you have to dash here in a couple minutes, but uh, just just let me know the the uh, somehow or another. I mean, you and I are are. I think both of us are bastions of individual rights. We don't want overreach on the part of any kind of government. Mm-hmm. Yet we have a government here that's totally in denial of what every citizen feels in terms of safety. They can throw up with a couple numbers, and you know I mentioned this to John Flanagan last week. I mean, I'm 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 colorblind. I don't care what color anybody is, and never never did. I mean, I actually am Martin Luther King, you know. But the idea of a city of this size, when you're trying to attract business and trying to stop people from leaving, when your mayor gets up there in some incredibly crazy voice telling people that we really didn't have 90 bazillion murders, we only had 89 bazillion murders, that is not what you want. And the people in New York, whatever, they just passed some kind of law regarding, uh, it wasn't a stop and frisk, but it was something something that was a little more intrusive into personal liberties than I would like, but I could see why they're doing it. I mean, the fact is, in Chicago, on any given Friday, Saturday night, maybe the rest of the week, in the middle of the night, there's probably 15 cars or 10 or some number that are stolen with people riding around and are mostly all black that have guns and are willing to shoot anybody they possibly they, that they come across. Somehow or another, and I don't know how you do it without stopping everybody, without just all stopping all black people, which you don't want to do. Um, I don't know how you do it, Brendan, but you got to do something. Somebody has to have a brain cell in their head to say, we're going to do it this way. Whether you you scan for the cars that are stolen, whether you do something, you can't have that. Like the guy the other night, the, the guy who was a concealed carry guy, blasted the two guys who were trying to, they just were shooting at him out, out of a car because they wanted his car at 3.30 in the morning. They are in a stolen car. You know, and uh, they ended up arresting him at the hospital, right, because he, he nailed two of them. I mean, Brendan, th- what, what is with the mayor doesn't understand that's what people are seeing here. I mean, mm-hmm. and uh, are they in denial, or they just can't can't acknowledge it because it's, it admits that they're not doing a good? I don't even know that it's her fault. But someplace, somewhere, you've got to get a bunch of people together and say, "This is what we can do without screwing people's rights." But we can't have this either. I I don't see any of that happening. Do you? I mean, maybe it is behind the scenes, but I mean, just the, the total difference in their view of what's going on and, and your and mine is is like night and day. I, I agree with you, I, and it, it's a bad story. That's. Uh it's being blasted all around Chicago. Blasted's not the right term. <laughs> We're talking about violence, but uh, 
that's been distributed all around Chicago, and the perception is of a city that is um, in, in a crime wave. Now, I think it's also different than it was the last couple of years. It does seem to be changing a little bit, but I don't know if that's because the media is reporting it differently or because it's actually uh, not as bad as it was six months or a year ago. The narrative coming out of the mayor's office is a little tone-deaf when she's talking about uh, uh, that, that crime seems to be going down when reports are... Uh, because, you know, there are two ways to look at crime going down. First is, are the numbers actually going down? But the second is, even if the numbers are going down, if crime is spreading to other parts of the city, and in Lori Lightfoot's case, that includes places like Michigan Avenue, Gold Coast, uh, Lakeview, when when, um, when you take it out of Roseland and Englewood, which have historically been bastions of, of crime, high crime areas, and those same types of crimes are coming to, you know, West Town, Ukrainian Village, Lakeview, Gold Coast, that's a different narrative that the police superintendent and the mayor have to contend with for the perception of nothing else. Well, as you know, I watch, I listen to the, uh, listen, you know, listen, I'm, I go to look at the Hey Jackass every week just because um, you got a dash in a minute. All right, I'm just saying um, things that are very obvious to me, Brendan, just by looking at the Hey Jackass site, it's, it is spread all over the city and it's also spread all times during the day. It's just mm-hmm. you're just as likely to be shot at noon now as you are at two in the morning. Maybe not just as likely, but and that that has been a massive change in the last two years. So even neighbor- right, and, and that that is a bigger problem for them. The fact that, that some of the crimes that you know, I think most people would say, whether it's right or wrong, that if something is happening at two o'clock in the morning in a certain part of the city, well, that's two o'clock in a certain part of the city. But if it's happening at two o'clock in the afternoon on Oak Street or 2 o'clock in the afternoon in Lakeview, that's a completely different story, and that's where people become less safe. Well, Brent, I know you have to dash. I know I still drive down 87th Street when I go to the south side. I never really had a, an issue with, with fear at all there. And now there's been there's been shots in 87th Street right where I drive at 2 in the afternoon, 3 in the afternoon, right when I'd be going by there. It used mm-hmm. to be 4 in the morning, and you, you foolishly think, it's 4 in the morning, I'm never here at 4 in the morning, I'm not in danger, but now you are. I mean, uh, anyway, yep. take care of yourself, bud. Um Manny, we should talk some sports, bud. What, what, tell us all about what's going on with the Cubs. Uh, I know you're not a Hawks fan, but explain to me, Lucy, how exactly five years after they had to get rid of people uh, because they didn't know the salary cap and so forth, they have a talent, a talent deficit on that team of the likes of which I've never seen other than maybe the Bears in professional sports. They aren't anywhere. They don't have a line that's as good as anybody they play now. I mean, how, how do they? How do they have no no draft picks after all? I mean, I'm not, we're not talking the year after the Stanley Cup when you know eight guys retired or something that you could understand. We're not we're way past that, and they've got nobody. Well, I certainly don't know much about hockey or the Blackhawks, but I do know that they're seven fifteen and and four. Uh, so that's seven wins, fifteen losses, four overtime losses. So that puts them at eighteen total points, which is second to last in the Western Conference. Um, so they are at the bottom of the barrel. But they started out first four games they like won. So that, that's what you just said isn't even really right. indicative of how bad it's been the last three it's, four weeks. It's been even worse. They've lost three in a row. Um, they've uh, they're bad at home and away. So it's not yeah. like they're just bad on the road. But they're four eight and two at home, three seven and two away. Not only do they have the second worst record in the West, they actually have the second worst record overall in the NHL. So out of the you know, 30 teams or whatever it is, um, they are the second worst. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, 
there's been a lot of turnover the last couple of years between um, you know they're on their third what third coach since uh, since Quinville yeah um, they're you know they revamped the, uh, the general management office and and the front office um, they still get really good crowds uh, as far as paid attendance is concerned but you're starting to see more and more empty seats there which that's an expensive ticket to, to oh, buy and not, and not is go it to. still the most expensive ticket in hockey? Like, I wouldn't be surprised <clears throat> it's got to be close like the, probably like the Bruins or somebody. Yeah, I wouldn't be. Su- it's certainly probably top five, right? Yeah, what's three hundred bucks? It's just close to the ice, or close to the the what do you want the the boards? What's the thing that you, you see over the top of the boards? They're, they're boards, but that you can see through it, the window, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, the glass. Right, the glass, and but I mean, there's even the announcers will say, well, the uh, I was listening to an interview the other day, one of the players, and they all they did in the interview was talk about the incredible talent difference. How, we, it's been, like I said, well, it's been, when was the last time he won the Cup? In, in the 90s? No, it was after that, but... Uh, Who? The, the, um, it's been how many years since they had to get rid of uh, the guys that, you know, because of the salary cap? That was, you know, that was, what, eight years ago? Yeah, they won in 2010, they won in 2013, and in 2015. So they won it three times, 2015 being the last time, so seven years ago, going on eight. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so it's you would think you know you could understand like you said that level of success you're not getting the high draft picks, you you run up against the salary cap with a lot of the uh, you know sort of ancillary free agents that they added around their draft picks, and so you would kind of expect with with a the strict cap that the NHL has that there's going to be a three or four year dip, um, but the good organizations sort of bounce back. But I will say. You know the Red Wings, who were the sort of the Blackhawks before the Blackhawks. They had a ten or fifteen year run where they were dominant and they won, you know, two, three, four Stanley Cups, whatever it was. And they've never been back. Yeah. So ever since this really hard and fast salary cap rule has gone in, it's really hamstrung these teams. And you almost have to have five bad years in a row of hitting on all of your high draft picks to come back. Otherwise, you disappear. And. Um, yeah, the Red Wings haven't come back either. So I don't know. You know, Like I said, I'm no hockey expert. You'd have to get somebody on that follows this closely. But uh, that's just from the outside looking at Well, it just seems like there isn't, a, uh, there isn't one of these people that they've drafted in the last five years is a hope being all pro. I mean, they got a couple of defensemen that are okay, but they had one. They had the older goalie. They couldn't wait to get rid of him. Fleury, he's the only kept, thing that kept them in the game last year or the year before. And yeah, then, there's really no point in paying some top-dollar goalie, though, if you – if 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 you're if you're the rest of your talent just sucked. <laughs> I mean, well, but you you do have to. There is some kind of a show you you got to put on for people that are paying in a skybox or three hundred bucks a ticket. I mean, you know, right? You would think. I mean, I'm sure it would have been very intelligent in the '50s for Detroit to dump Al Kaline and the Cubs to dump Ernie Banks. But if you did that, who, who exactly were you coming out to see? You and me. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a fine line there, and I think, I think a lot of these a lot of these guys are uh, not just that sport; they're they're over the line. Well, we can be like really really dog bleep for like two years. Or are you going to give anybody ten percent of their ticket price back? Why would I ever do that? The Cubs lowered their tickets by five percent, Chief. Well, they gotta, that's got to be the only team in the history of professional sports that did that. Well, they must have been getting massive feedback. I mean, how many years in the last in the last seven or eight? Did you? Uh, well, I'll go back to when these guys first took over. Um, the, the the Ricketts. How many teams? How many times in the last whatever the Ricketts decade? I'll say. Did you send them a check, and by the end of the year, the team was was half of what you paid the check for? 
Several times, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... That's baseball, yeah. If you're not competing, you're going to trade off your assets for um, for draft picks and, and prospects. But uh, it's not it's not good business for your customers. But now these guys make so much more. Well, I don't know about more, but they, they make so much from the money getting from the, the league that they almost don't care about their customers, which is... Baseball, I think you still do. I was going to say, baseball doesn't get jacked from the league, do they? Sure you do. Can't be much. There's All no the TV contract. Sure there is. I mean, it's a, it's it's abysmal. I mean, compared to the other leagues, but it's it's, it's way better than it was. Considering get, you have 181 home dates. Yeah, but these guys they get paid off attendance, and that's it for the most part. Compared to other leagues, like, I, it's not like the NFL or the NBA where you got a huge TV contract. Well, if you compare it to the other leagues, you win the argument. If you compare it to baseball ten years ago, I win the argument. I bet it, I, I I can't with inflation. Is their contract any better at all than it was ten years? Oh, ago? Oh yeah, because no one watches well, that. Up, well, how much money do they get from? Uh, no one watches national TV baseball games. They, they you pay, watch your local team, and that's it. They still pay up, and how much did uh, Apple pay this year for the, the games that are on? What did those guys pay? Is it Apple or Prime? Apple so? paid for for the Friday streaming games. I bet it was nothing that they paid for that. But you also there, there's a there's a much bigger share. I mean, no one watches it. But there's a much bigger share that like Kansas City gets from New York than they used to. Well, yeah, that's because that's that's uh, taxation on the spending teams versus the non-spending teams. Well, no, it's it's that's a that's something that they that's part of their collective bargaining or whatever. Where if you if you spend over a certain threshold, then you have to pay a tax to the other teams. No, no, I'm talking about they now get a piece of of uh, New York's cable. Well, you didn't used to. Okay, there's yeah, there's probably something to that, but I mean, because there's a re- I mean, Kansas City is not as much in the in the in the clunker when it comes to they're not going to have an L.A. or or New York budget, but they're not going to be two hundred million versus twenty million either. Well, I think it's mostly from that luxury tax. And, uh, no, I think it's it's, it's a much bigger share of a. It's, it's the luxury tax, and it's the the draft the the compensatory draft picks that they get now when they lose free agents. Um, that's keeping the smaller market teams like the Kansas Cities and the Tampas, uh, you know, somewhat competitive. Um, whereas, you know, there was a twenty or thirty year stretch where they really weren't competitive at all. Yeah, but don't you remember the? Uh, I don't remember all the details. Maybe you can help me. The fiasco when the Dodgers got sold. When the, for those that don't remember, the Dodgers ended up uh, the, the owner, the previous owner, I forget his name was having a big divorce fight in the middle of selling the team, right? Frank McCourt, yeah. And uh, somehow or another, at the same time, they were putting together their local cable package, sort of like the marquee or what, what's the what's the Yankees one, what do they call it? The Yes Network? Yeah, they were they were putting that together, and they were supposedly going to make all this money. Well, somehow or another, didn't McCourt declare bankruptcy? And the thing was heading to the bankruptcy court. And, and major, major League Baseball had a, basically a, a cow over bankruptcy court. When you go to, if, if hopefully you're never there, but I know something about it. If you go to bankruptcy court, all of a sudden everything else they they control everything. And, and Major League Baseball and football and basketball, they want to be in their own club and they want to they want to be able to control everything. So the idea that this team could be moved by the bankruptcy court to a party that they didn't have to vote on or something like that, they were. Absolutely apoplectic. Yeah, you remember that part. Yep. So I think what the deal was is they, the new owners paid up enough to get this guy out of Dutch and get him out of the the, the marriage and everything else. So the, the the 
the price for the team was ridiculously high, more even, even though they are all ridiculously high, was even more than that. Because I think what they did is they gave the Dodgers, just to keep this out of bankruptcy court, all the other owners basically gave them 100% of their cable package for the next five or three years to, to compensate them from paying these people way too much. And now, and now I think everybody's sharing in it, but I'm not positive on that. They ended up getting them, they, like the, the marquee, I think the Cubs got a pony up, you know, 30, 40% of that to the league. Because clearly, you're not playing, it's not just you, there's another team there, right? You can't just stiff. Right. Uh, so there, there's, there's something to be had. You're right, the, the, the contracts are not just the ESPN and, uh, and Fox and uh, Apple. And Does Amazon have a part of that too, or is it just Apple? Who's I think one? it's just Apple for baseball right now. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Amazon has a taste or carries something, but I don't remember. I remember Apple having the Friday games where every team had to play at least like two Friday games on Apple TV+. Plus. Yeah, and they weren't on marquee, and they weren't, you couldn't watch them anywhere else. Right, they were exclusively on the streaming. Even the bars didn't have them. Unless they had the app. Yeah, uh, but what I'm saying, there, there's, there's, there's way more. The bottom line is, you're, you're probably right, and at the, the, the matter of fact, I know you're right, and the national is not like football where you get a check for the entire salary cap. I mean, it's, it's, it's clearly not that, but it's way more uh, sharing than it was certainly 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. it probably is. And you know, uh, still, I mean, how many does every does every team have a? Every team must at least have a local TV package, I would think. Um, I would think, yeah, to uh, to a certain extent, you have a local TV package, a local radio package um, that the, those stations bid for and com- and you know pay for. Um, but like I said, I don't think the dollar amount's that big. Um, it's it's something, but these guys make their money on on, on the gate, and that's about it. Well, we'll have some, we'll have to next time around. We'll we'll dig into that a little bit. We'll see how it's how that's you know, baseball's share of revenue sources historically or something. Yeah, but I but regarding the Cubs, um, you know they were they they've been very vocal uh, heading you know right after this last season ended that they plan to spend and compete in 2023. And um, you know we saw some. Nice developments with some young guys, certainly uh, Justin Steele and, and Keegan Thompson you know, on the pitching staff took big steps. Uh, and then, you know, Nico Horner certainly uh, at shortstop was a, was a, had a really good season, both offensively and defensively. So there's some positives, but they have a ton of holes still. And so far in the offseason, they've basically done two things. One was, was a really nice signing. They signed a um, Jameson Talon, the starting pitcher from the Yankees, who you really like him? Everyone thinks he's going to be a superstar. I mean, he was pretty much a superstar last year. He didn't play. In, he didn't, did he go in any of the playoffs? Um, yeah, he was fourteen and five with a three point nine ERA against American League lineups, which is really impressive. And that was essentially his second full season in the big leagues. So, still a young guy. Now, how did he? Um, how did he manage to become a free agent? Um, he was a. He was sort of a late bloomer. It looked like. Um, just looking at his uh, stuff here, so he's he's 31, um, but he bounced around the minor leagues for for quite a while before he really got a shot. He was with Pittsburgh a little bit um, in 2018. So it's every every year you come up and play like one game that counts towards your five years. I don't know if it's one game, but um, but yeah, he had enough starts looking at his career. So it looks like he made his debut in 2016. Then he was back in the minor leagues. Then he came back up in 2018. 
in 2019 with Pittsburgh. Then he was back in the minor leagues, and then his last two years with the Yankees, he seems well, so to that, have really figured something out. So that's five. Yeah. Right? It was one, then two, then two. So that's five. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that was a, that was a good signing that uh, people are excited about, and they got you know seemingly a pretty good deal on. Other than that, I mean, who's the guy they signed for one year to pitcher? The older guy. Um, it was somebody. I don't. I don't know. I'm not sure, and it's not my money, but I don't see why you had to pay Bellinger that kind of dough. I don't see how you couldn't have an incentive laden comp. Yeah, that guy might well, not make Bellinger the team. Is, it was only a one year contract, wasn't it? Yeah, but it's. I mean, I don't see how you. I mean, I don't. You know, it doesn't matter. I might like to see the guy do well, but it, it doesn't seem to me that 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 should have been a contract of, of you know. Four mil if you make the team another two. <laughs> if you start so many games, it's another X. And if you're an all-star, it's X. I, I don't see how that guy gets a 17.5 uh, guaranteed deal for a year. The guy barely barely played last year. Yeah, well, he was on a really good team and sort of got phased out, um, which is why he was available in the first place. But he's a guy that has a ton of talent. That was, I think, a former Rookie of the Year winner. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and I think there's... Oh, was, was, he, was, he, was he MVP? Sort of taking a flyer on him. Yeah, he got... A, um, I'd have to look and see if he won MVP or not. He was he, something. He was real, real good. He certainly was a really good player. That um, sort of—I don't know if it was a confidence issue or what—but he's only 27 years old. I, I kind of like the signing, but this is nowhere near the the quote-unquote splash to compete that Cubs fans were expecting. I mean, they expected one of the big shortstops to be here, which could still happen. But the the list is getting shorter and shorter as these guys start signing places. They expected, I think, another starting pitcher. Um, and then certainly, you know, some power. I mean, you know, maybe Bellinger figures it out and, and returns to form. But the Cub, you got to hit some home runs, and the, Cub, <laughs> the Cubs don't hit any. Um, so, you know, they, they still have a lot of, a lot of work to do. Well, to he, he's a guy that is an elite center fielder. And so, and I, I'm, maybe I'm much more sympathetic than most because I've been playing my whole life, and so have you, but... I think if you get a little bit of a shoulder injury and you come back maybe a little too soon, a little bit of this, he's had these kind of nagging little things. I think that can totally screw up your batting, and certainly at that level. If you can come to camp healthy and go through a whole camp uh, spring and maybe even get there earlier and work on some stuff, you have no, you, you can you can get it all back together. I mean, I, mean, I, hope, I hope, hope that's what he does. I would like to see, uh, um, I think if you put a, a, a major league shortstop there, and move the other dude over to second, where he's elite. Shortstop, he's good, but he's 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 one of the best second basemen around. If you move over there, Nico Horner, all of a sudden you got a one hell of a middle infield. I think you know. By the way, Kevin writes in that talent is a late bloomer because his career was derailed twice. Tommy John surgery, which I knew that, um, but he also had cancer, which I didn't know that. Ugh. So that's, I mean, the guy when he's been out there, if you look at his numbers, he's been pretty good with Pittsburgh and then with the Yankees. Um, but yeah, two two major uh, issues. Well, the Cubs have had luck with a cancer survivor before, and Rizzo. That's right. S and P futures up twenty six now. We're we're, we're we're the world is convinced that uh, the the inflation thing is going to be over between today and tomorrow. We'll see if they're right. Be right back, Professor Helsner. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, 
Give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body, too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. There's something happening here. What it... Exactly Welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tomomis, Matt Weber on the board. SP Futures up 24. NSA Futures up 74, given the huge rally yesterday, even though we fell apart pretty seriously on the close Friday, but we made all that back and then some yesterday. Now we're up again today. It, it appears that the, uh, the, the, the the whispers in the wind are that the number this morning is not going to be horrible, and oh, by the way, the Fed's going to, at least in terms of uh, body language and tone, are going are to back off. Hey, professor, can you wait one more second? I have one more question for Mr. Weber, my sportsman. He's only here once or once a week, sometimes twice. What is with the Contreras Theo? The Cardinals, Manny, we're giving our best player to the Cardinals where the guy's going to be an all-pro for eight years. I mean, really? Well, they didn't give him to the Cardinals. He signed with the Cardinals. I know, but, it's, but it felt like they, but they yeah, let him uh, go to the Cardinals. Well, we'd certainly like him to go to a different team, <laughs> that's yeah. for sure, and he's going to have a chip on his shoulder. With a, for a guy that's that always has a chip on his shoulder anyway, he's really going to have one um, that the Cubs weren't willing to pay him. They never really gave him an offer, did they? Uh, it's weird. A 30-year-old catcher that uh, has been very consistent and good and rel- and pretty much healthy, which is rare for a catcher, um, and the Cubs, uh, you know, a homegrown guy, and for whatever reason, uh, you know, you would think you would reward that. Some organizations, they like to reward their homegrown talent that does well, and for some reason the Cubs just haven't done that the last three years right when it's time to pay whether it's chris bryant or wilson Contreras or, or whomever um they are saying we don't care go well they didn't, they didn't even bump them two years ago and say yeah, how about adding two years or something I, I and maybe we don't know if they had those conversations or not i don't know he he certainly was ready for a big payday and um and he got one from the cardinals but the, but the cardinals are just a better organ i bet he's a he's an all pro there for eight years 
And those guys died and went to heaven. Molina's been there for what? Decade and a half. The guy retires, and then I got somebody dropping right in his spot. Yep. Exactly. I, I, I'm going to say the Cardinals finish, finish ahead of the Cubs this year. Well, I think they I mean, they did last year, and uh, they're the favorites in the division again this year. So, um, you know, unless, you know, I still think the Cubs are going to make some more moves. I mean, I, I hope they get Carlos Correa. I don't think it's going to happen, but um, that would be a big splash, and, and they, but they need even more than that. Um, but even if they do make those moves, I still think the Cardinals are better than them right now. If you can pick. No, I think the Cubs have some, some really good prospects that are going to be coming later on this year and certainly in the 2024 season but you know that that who cares right right now what what is the difference in in record sorry sorry hell what do you suppose the difference in record is maybe you can actually find this out since 1955 or 60 cubs versus cardinals a 300,000 person town versus a 3 million person town they got to be ahead of us by by how many hundred games it's got to be a lot yep um Yep, they, and they've won the Cubs have during that time. The Cubs have won one World Series. The Cardinals have won at least three, right? Three or four. Well, but they've been they've been a, a contender but virtually a every contender, year. But um, virtually every year, I agree. Yeah, they've, if you've they've been, been a twenty-year season ticket holder in St. Louis, you got no complaints. Much better run organization. Um, looks like uh, Contreras got five years, eighty-seven point five million, with well, a club option for twenty twenty-eight as well. So he got the same contract that Hal Snare got at the new school. Get this, yeah, get this. It's the largest contract the Cardinals have ever given to a player that was not a Cardinal. Well, they obviously like the guy, so they they they'll pay their own guys, but they very rarely will give a big contract to a, a, well, he's a, a guy sw- from another team. He's a switch hitter, right? Um, no, well, he's not, okay, but, he, but he's fast. Would you don't know? He's got ever. good speed for a catcher. He's got a great arm. Um, he's gotten better and better at at framing pitches, which used to be a big thing. If they go to the the this K zone, I guess that doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're gonna do that. I think but, they're gonna. Uh, and he's always had you know good pop, and uh, yeah, he, I mean, he's we, he's a great player. I don't know if he's if he's worth eighty eight million, but but maybe he is. Well, do you think Hal's worth the forty he got to change colleges? <laughs> of course he is. Of course he is. <laughs> What's up, man? How are you? Did now did you? Uh, hey, uh, Tom. Tom, you got to change uh, M behind the number to K. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> What uh, so did you have to go through the transfer portal like a like a basketball or football player? Uh, not really, but uh, I mean, I didn't really have a choice. My wife didn't like Utah. It was pretty obvious from the moment we moved there. So um, about three four years ago, I started keep my wife happy. I started looking for work in uh, New York. And the problem with uh, I always tell my students this if I. Uh, you want to get you, if you want to be a professor uh, in economics. Make sure you uh, if you have if you if you favor or you agree with the Austrian school of economics, keep that on the down low. Oh yeah, <laughs> it really especially in the Northeast, right? In the Northeast, if you look at most uh, economics departments, pretty heavily loaded with uh, interventionalist Keynesians, and nothing wrong against that. I just don't agree with it. Well, now would you fit in the Chicago school? I think I'd probably be more, uh, I think I would because I, I think conservatives and uh, libertarians on college campuses are so rare that uh, when you get one in your department, you're kind of like excited, uh, no matter how committed or how radical their libertarianism, I think you just kind of get excited and it's kind of like, it's kind of nice having a uh, 
at least two people in the same club. I mean, there's power in numbers. And yeah. One, there's no power, and two, there's a tiny bit. But I think most of my colleagues at Westminster were, um, you know, nothing wrong with it. I got along with everybody at Westminster, and uh, I respected their views, I respected mine, but it was really hard to be on campus when you're the only one with uh, your viewpoint. So Does every- if, uh, if, I, if, I, if I were hired at Chicago, I think, I think I'd be welcome there because uh, there'd be, you know, instead of one or two, there'd be three or four, right? Well, yeah, does every, just a couple of questions now that you got me wrong, because I, I was just down to a, a Notre Dame for a basketball game. Uh, they got their ass kicked basically by Marquette. Um, now, now does, does a place even like, I don't, I mean, I got my degree there in economics. I didn't, I didn't really notice there were people that taught, you know, monetary stuff and banking and how all that stuff worked. And there were other people that taught, you know, the Keynesian stuff. And there were people that taught, Urban economics, or people who taught one guy in economics of the credit union, and then we had a, a priest that you know taught economics of labor unions, and and uh, you know uh, what do you call it the uh, like antitrust law and stuff like that. I didn't really notice a. I was probably too dumb, young and dumb. I, I didn't really notice an overall you know theme that if you didn't fit in, you didn't didn't get along. I mean, is that is that normal? I mean, I, I, I couldn't even tell you what the thing was. Every everybody had a different. Shtick, and there was a guy from uh, Australia. There was a visiting professor that did a lot more worldwide stuff, and everybody respected him. I, I sort of thought everybody was everybody. Everybody had a different well, I, tone on stuff. I didn't well, know. I think, that. I, I think historically, uh, economists at on college campuses tended to be, uh, I think, more libertarian. I think that was the historical case. Um, but I think today it's a little bit. I think a place like Notre Dame would probably be pretty balanced. But I think if you look at uh, a lot of the departments in the Northeast, um, it seems to me that uh, most would probably fall under a couple of umbrellas. So I don't. I don't want to say too much because I've applied for a lot of positions in the Northeast, and um, it, I, I don't think my viewpoint was. Let's just say uh, wanted, maybe I don't know. Um, well, what is the? I think that's as far as I want to go. But there are schools like Notre Dame that and BYU they're going to have kind of a fifty-fifty. But I think at most schools, um, get, you get outside the business and economics departments, and it's overwhelmingly one-sided. I think that's fair to say. Well, what uh, well, one thing I have noticed? I mean, I, I sense it, but I don't really know enough to. To talk about it, I mean, at, at Notre Dame, there were, there were two economics degrees. There was the arts and letters economics, which I was, which which that's what I pursued more at, at Chicago. Um, even though I was in the MBA program, I was able to take a bunch of courses outside the program in the economics school. And then there also was a, a business economics major that I didn't really know anybody who took that. It was much smaller, I think. I'm not, I'm not sure. And uh, it seems like there's more of that. I mean, Russell is... He's in the MBA school, and he's the, he's an economist. So he, he teaches. It's all it's much more business economics. It has to do with the markets. It has to do with those kinds of things. And it seems like I've seen more of a move that way than than uh, I mean our, I mean economics I took is like it's another uh, behavioral science really. It's been, yeah you know it's yeah. like sociology or psych not so much psychology because you don't give drugs to people but um, it's more like that people's behavior how to how does how does uh, economic stuff you know, 
how do people impact their behavior and impact economics and vice versa? It's a lot different. It has more into politics. And, and I was much more of a George Stigler, not a fan because I, I love Friedman and those other guys, but, but he was, I thought, was interesting because this was, this is how city politics works because that's their economics and it's their behavior. And it, I thought that, I mean, I like them both, but I thought that more fast. And I think that, I don't know if anybody teaches all that much of that anymore because it doesn't kind of head you into the business community like the other stuff does. I mean, is it, am I totally off base here or are you sensing that I'm right or, or at least have a, a clue what I'm talking about? Well, I think a young person who wants to major in economics is probably looking to get a job where they're probably going to analyze data. Uh, and so I think most of the uh, economics, people interested in economics are going to gravitate to more of a an applied business type of economics degree. So, you, so in other words, you want a, so I, I think, I think, no, would you want a business degree, you don't want an arts and letters degree, which is what I got. Yeah, personally, I don't have an arts and letters degree. Uh, but I, I like, you know, I like to code and I like to teach coding and uh, I love business statistics. I just finished teaching a business statistics class for Tatler College and I mean, I'll, I'll teach those just for the fun of it, right? So I, I, but I think young people are looking to uh, uh, do that kind of work and so it's probably less theory, less philosophy, less history, um, which is unfortunate because I think the best economics where we learn from history, right? And hi- and history tends to repeat, and repeated history repeats repeatedly. <laughs> well, I mean, the only thing that, that's saved me, and it didn't, it wouldn't be noticeable in my degree, uh, was that at Notre Dame at that time, anyway, who knows what it's like today? You could take stuff wherever you wanted. So, I mean, I, I, I took a, a solid year of accounting. I took, you know, a, a year of market. I took taxes. I took finance. So. In, in reality, I had almost as many business courses. I could almost have had a double degree, I think. But if you just yeah. stayed, in, if you just would have stayed in the arts and letters, economics, I mean, you'd, you'd have been on the football team. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. But I mean, there were there were there were a lot of teachers there that were, you know, you learn stuff. But there also were. And I took the high end guys. I, mean, I took a graduate degree in my senior year. I mean, not degree. I took a graduate course my senior year. But most people didn't do that. You know, so but yeah. I did. So I mean, it's all about you know what you want to do. And, but sure, if you look at an economics, arts and letters degree, you said you'd say, who the hell's this guy, right? But basically, yeah. what do I need him for? Yeah. Um, what a well, it, it'd be kind of like it'd be kind of like uh, if you got a degree at a, re, a solid traditional liberal arts college where there's one major. Right? Yeah, there's one in uh, I know in New Mexico called uh, St. John's, and you everybody goes there gets the same exact degree. It's a liberal arts degree, and there's there's no concentrations, just one degree. And then uh, across across Broadway from us in Lower Manhattan is King's College, and I think they offer one degree with four concentrations. They, what what uh, kind of college? Is that arts and letters? Well, they have a. I think they have a biology track. They have a economics and politics track. I think they have a business track, but it's essentially one degree with four four concentrations. And I think I think. Liberal arts colleges, small private liberal arts colleges, probably should get probably should get away from a model where they're trying to be uh, a tiny university. I think the smaller the school, the more you know a private school. I think they probably should maybe kind of return home a little bit. And I think uh, small colleges that private colleges that don't get any subsidies from on the on the student end in terms of their tuition. I think if they focused on being more 
liberal arts focused and less kind of like R what mini R one university um, like they're, they're trying to be. They'd be less straddling, and I think it would set themselves up for success because you choose the liberal arts college because you want to get to know get to know everybody. You have these small classes, and your professors are more like mentors, and and the discussions I think are more vibrant than in a big R one state university where there's 500 people in a classroom, right? And in that in that setting, you could have all these specialized degrees, but I think for a small private liberal arts college, it should be a few. Um, because you just don't have the manpower to teach all those different classes. Well, the reason why I, I did that is I actually went over to uh, University of Chicago and talked to somebody over there when I was like a, uh, I was a freshman in Notre Dame. And, and the guy says, I'll tell you what, if you want to get your MBA here, which I or, s- sort of already did, wanted to because my stepfather already gotten his in the executive program. Um, he says, don't t- do not take business undergrad. Because business, he goes, you don't need five years to learn marketing. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, we'll teach <laughs> He goes, you know. He goes, we'll teach you that. You don't need to double up on everything. He goes, get yourself, yeah. get yourself an arts and letters. He's one of suggesting get yourself an arts and letters degree in, in economics or something, or something like that. Keep your grades good. You know, score well on the test and come here to get your business stuff. You don't need t- take a couple of courses like maybe basic accounting or something just to get your, your feet wet. He's but don't. I did exactly what he told me. He said the last yeah. thing you want to do is is come out of Notre Dame with a finance degree and then go to University of Chicago and study finance for two years to get the three other letters. Is the yeah. another another quick question? We'll, we'll duck on to what's going on in the world here. What uh, are, are endowed professorships still a big deal everywhere? Or the schools that have them are real happy they're getting? Do they have them? And uh, I mean, the one at, at Chicago, the one that the Walgreen distinguished, uh, whatever old thing, they've had three Nobel Prize winners out of that endowed professorship with Stigler and two other guys after that. That's got to be a record. Well, I think if you're a top tier university, I think it's a big deal, but. A small private Christian or uh, secular uh, liberal arts college, you know, you just think of be able to afford that kind of uh, um, prestige marketing, if you will. To me, it's just marketing and prestige. Um, like, for example, one year, Washington State, the year I left Washington State, um, I think they wanted to improve their uh, overall um, uh, expertise or the, the, the appearance of the school. And they purchased a, hired a guy. Um, out of the Berkeley system, who had probably two, three hundred publications on a CV, and they had to pay him a lot of money to do that, right? So, if, so if, if you're at a big, large state university and you got lot, lots of publications, or you won a, a Nobel Prize in economics, um, you you can get one of those positions. And I think uh, you're, I think in that regard, uh, Walter Williams, the great Walter Williams, is the guy. Um, I think what he would have said was was accurate. We're underpaid, or we're overpaid and underworked. And but at a small liberal arts college, it's not the case. Um, I'm teaching four classes next uh, semester, and they're in different areas, and in some areas that I haven't never taught in. So, um, if you're a large state university, or you're a prestigious uh, Ivy League school, or or you're close to those in terms of prestige, then you have the endowment, and the money, and the donors to provide those kinds of opportunities. But small, I've never met uh, an endowed chair, honestly. Really? Yeah, I've never met one. We, we didn't have, we, I mean, we had a guy at Westminster um, who was a big, um, pretty well-known in, uh, in organization, in leadership, and he had a chair position. 
but it wasn't anything like what University of Chicago can offer or uh, Harvard can offer. Well, it's a, di- it's a difference like in... Uh... I mean, he's basically retired. He's basically retired and teaches, you know, a full load of classes. Well, I'm going to... I'll wander out on a, on a limb here and say a lot of it has to do with the, the attitude of the school to uh, money. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, Notre Dame... They're after you for every nickel. I mean, they sort of all are, but they're but they they don't want you to determine anywhere where it goes. <laughs> they used to fight constantly yeah. with the University of Chicago or uh, the, the Chicago Club in Notre Dame because the Chicago Club wanted to use the money that they made here for scholarships from kids from Chicago. The university yeah. had a hissy fit that every year, but they had so many people here. The club was so powerful they couldn't really fight them, but they hated them. Every other club just yeah. gave their money. You know, Duke at Duke University. Um, well, Duke University one doesn't have an undergraduate degree in business management or administration. So if you go to Duke, you can't get a business degree. Really? I didn't know that. You know, general business degree, yeah. You you can get, I think you can get finance, you can get economics, and economics is in the uh, social sciences. Uh, But at Duke University, um, their donors, you know, in order to get the opportunity, uh, you know, 20 years in the future, in order to get the opportunity to buy tickets for a home basketball game, you have to be a big-time donor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's only what six thousand seats available in uh, Cameron Indoor Stadium, and a thousand of them go to students. And the thousand that are lucky enough to get those uh, student seats are the ones that are crazy enough to camp outside for a week. All right. Well, I mean, at, at, at Chicago, they had a whole different view. I mean, I'm going to go back when interest rates used to be interest rates. I think if the you know say when I was there. I don't know. Say the, say the guy made 150 a year, an endowed professor. I mean, you, for three million bucks, the interest rates were you know whatever, ten, twelve percent. But as, I'm sure they they probably said they were they're going to be six or something. So for three million bucks, uh, you know, six percent gives you what almost two hundred thousand bucks, right? So you could endow a professorship, and and that really quote give the money to the school. So it was a separate yeah. trust of some kind. And I imagine it was a trust. And so, but the school, after, you know, 50 years, loves the fact that they can have, I'm going to say, 15 to 25 high-end professorships that they don't have to pay these guys. They're not yeah. they're not as hung up. But if you went to Notre Dame and said, I want to give you $3 bucks, I want to endow the uh, chief professorship, they're going to go, oh, we'd like, we'd, we'd much rather have a general contribution. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd much rather have, you know, Eight girls at the same time, too, but you're not getting it, you know, you know type of thing. I mean, but I, you know, they would be, they would fight you on it. I, I think we were in Chicago saying welcome, but I can't even imagine now if somebody's making a quarter million a year and the interest rates are like two at best. How much you got to give somebody to, to endow a professorship? I bet it's a lot of dough. I bet it's ten mil, maybe more than that. Yeah. Well, like one year, for example, Washington State hired uh, an. Uh, Big name investor. Uh, I think he had a PhD, and he was the highest paid professor on the on the on the faculty. I think he was making like three hundred, four hundred thousand a year. Um, so, you know, if you if you if you're if you have a big recognizable name and you're relatively famous, or you have lots of publications, uh, schools that uh, want. I mean, Duke University basically purchased its Ivy League status by moving to Durham. I think, uh, what, 80, 90 years ago? And they built these buildings that uh, looked like they were built two, 300 years ago. I mean, they actually grinded the steps to make them look like they're worn for 200 years, oh, right? Yeah. So yeah. schools can purchase this kind of 
prestige. It's just the ones I work at, um, our revenues barely match our our our, uh, our expenses. So, well, that's where the we well, that's why luxuries. Well, that's we why have, the, we have that, to hustle. We have to go recruit students. Well, that's, how, that's where the and I don't mind that. But I mean, it, it comes down to. Uh, I mean, I'd love to see the now if, if like Milton Friedman had an endowed professorship. Now the people that worked—I won't say worked for him—but the guys now does he does that come out of the endowment or do those come out of the university? I mean, I guess every every place is probably different. But well, uh, I think if you're endowed chair, you probably have uh, you know part of it is your staff because the last thing you want Milton Friedman doing is um, typing up uh, memos, right? Yeah. Well, hey, we got we're getting close to this that. number here, Hal. Probably going to go to break a hair early so we can bag where SPs are up 30, so they're now up 90 in, in two days, coming off the 30-point down on Friday. Why, why am I such a Chicagoan to know this number is leaked or that the, the, Fed, the Fed's attitude is leaked to the right people as usual? Are we ever going to stop this and be, and be straight with people? I mean, is, there, is that just become the new American way, or was it always the American way? I mean, there's this constant government involved in the market, Massive moves back and forth based on government, whatever they're doing. There's some, um, some anybody who believes a CPI, I'll tell you what, I got a bridge for you. you I mean, we're, we're going to go through the numbers after they come out. I'll get them up here on my page, but uh, they're going to say that everything's everything's okay. I mean, yeah, you and I know the last time we did this, we had these these issues with inflation. It was like a ten year program to get out of it. Now we're, we're supposed to believe that uh, everything's okay. I mean, come on. I mean, uh, we have a price level that half the, the Half three quarters of the of your society can't deal with. I heard a guy on TV yesterday talking about the Christmas season. Well, it's very obvious that 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 the the people with money are spending. Well, duh. You know. Yeah. yeah the, the people that you know above the median uh, household income are probably going. What's the problem? Yeah. But people at the bottom half, man, they're. I think they're struggling mightily. All right, we're going to sneak off to. Uh, I'm one of them. Right, right we're going to sneak off to. Uh, I'll break here a little early if Mr. Weber takes us to break, and we're going to uh, uh, come back with this number. Actually, we've seen a spooze higher go flying up here, so the number is, you know what, why don't we just wait one second, we'll give the number, and then we'll go to break, and then we'll uh, come back. We'll go to a short break because all the numbers from overseas will be late coming in, but we'll give a short break, and, we, and then uh, we'll, uh, so what, what's, your, what's your pick on the number here? Hey, Al, do you probably, it's probably going to be seven and a half. Think, well, I'm talking about what's the, what's the monthly going to be? The oh, the monthly, I don't know, point, point three, point four. I, mm-hmm. I don't really. Like I think the the the, the uh, predictions what point four. And the, uh, I mean, I don't know. They, they somehow. I would be surprised if it's a lower. Yeah. But somehow or another, they've got to work through the housing prices. They're still at at only six percent, like last year. How can they be? You know, how can they even consider? Uh, I'm got. I got the page here. The page is quicker than CNBC, believe it or not. I've got uh, November. The November numbers are. Minus point zero one. Wow, minus point one. Spoons are up one hundred and thirty-seven. Anybody who thinks that this number is legit, we'll be right. We'll be right back. Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas. 
ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know, all while exploring how to live your best life through music, spirits, food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities. They play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and try to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it is time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single-family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Well, we're paying stocks and jocks. Time, time, always, Mr. Mayor Weber on the phone. S and P futures week. Consumer price index, a positive point one versus a. A positive 0.3 estimates. So we had the S&P futures printed up 138. They're now up 99, 98, 97. It's flying around there. Uh, Nasdaq futures are up 360. Uh, the other stuff is I'm coming. It's coming in late because all my other stuff has a little bit of a delay coming from Europe. But consumer prices uh, only up 7.1 percent from a year ago. And we'll go through the list here when Matty gets done with his stuff because I've got the CPI table out here and some stuff that you uh, you kind of don't believe. But Matty, why don't you give us traffic weather sports? I can do that. 34 minutes past the hour. Good morning once again to everyone out there. We've been off to a pretty good start here on a Tuesday morning as far as your travel times are concerned. No major issues coming in from the Edens or Kennedy, although we are starting to see traffic pick up. So you're over an hour now from O'Hare into downtown, but that's pretty normal for this hour in the morning. Uh, Eisenhower, same could be said there. Uh, no accidents to report, but traffic volumes are starting to pick up to uh, the normal levels as well. Southside Expressways are behaving themselves too, so um, no crashes on any of the expressways. Only crash in the area right now is out in the western suburbs. Roosevelt Road, which is Route 38 at Fabian Parkway, there is a crash, but that's way out uh, near uh, Aurora and in that area. 
Weather today, lots of clouds, cool temperatures, a high of 42. Right now it's overcast and 37 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, partly cloudy skies with a high of 53. Right now it's mostly clear and 46. In sports, quiet night last night. Blackhawks and Bulls were both off. Coyotes and Suns were both off as well. Hawks host the Capitals tonight at 8 p.m. Coyotes are at the Sharks tonight. And the Suns are at the Rockets tonight. Lastly, Monday Night Football, it was the Patriots beating the Arizona Cardinals 27-13. Chief. The, uh, yeah, what do you think of these numbers, bud? I've got, I'll go right to the table, and this is, this is kind of weird. I don't know how they, every month I say this, I don't know how the hell they do this, but the, the published number that you're hearing is .1, uh, which is the seasonally adjusted. The unadjusted is actually minus .1, and we've got the, uh, year over year at 7.1. Um, hey, I'll comment, uh. I don't. I don't know. I, well, I, the the seasonal adjustment right now is pretty inaccurate because uh, they have to. They'll, they'll end up changing the current seasonally adjusted number when next months in the and February's come or December January's come out. Right? So the seasonal, I wouldn't pay too much attention to the seasonal right now. In a year, that seasonal adjustment will fill in and, and be kind of frozen in time. But point one up, it's it's lower than it was um, than I expected. I expected probably point three, and then I was expecting seven point five year over year. But you know, we're, we're talking about uh, a metric that has lots of subjectivity embedded in it, and I think a lot of the CPI, uh, the direction in which it goes, um, depends on housing because housing is so such a big, huge component of it, and it's so subjective, and you see uh, the National Home Price Index, uh, basically a, a sharp pencil. It, it, it's not the round bubble that we saw in 2008. It looks more like a pencil that's just been sharpened, and it's starting to come down quite a bit. So uh, I think that probably has something to do with it uh, being softer. And I, th- I think people at the high end of the income distribution are probably ask themselves, what's the big deal? And then you got people at the other end. 7.1% is still huge because it's built on inflation that had or existed a year ago, right? So if, you're, if your wages aren't keeping up with inflation, then, you know, 7.1% is pretty painful. Well, I, I uh, still. My, my concern is after I dig into these numbers more, which I never should have done, you because know, all it does is make you aggravated. Um, yeah, it does make you aggravated, yeah. I don't, I don't think there's any question, and by the way, you and I have been talking about this for months now, I think the inf- the inflation, the rate of change in terms of upward pricing has uh, probably peaked 8, 9 months ago, maybe as much as 10, 12 months ago. And, and right now, there is no, I mean, I really don't think there's that much push in inflation right now because your money supply is not going up. The Fed's coming down with the balance sheet. But the numbers here, I'll, I'll just be blunt, they're, they're flat-ass lies. I mean, I don't have any problem with the 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 home part of it that you're talking about sliding this month because I don't think things have gone up. I mean, Audrey talks you know, all the time about how the prices have kind of flattened out. I don't have an issue with that. But my concern is the owner's equivalent rent of resident residences is up 7.1% in the last year. It's never it's never come close to to absorbing the 20% increase. I'm going to say between 18 months and six months ago, the, the Shiller, Case Shiller 
talked about, and it never reflected the 40% increase in, mo- in mortgage rates, or 35. So there was a 40% increase over a 12-month period in the cost of home ownership, not even to mention insurance going up, taxes going up, all the other crap. So we're talking about, I don't have a problem with this month saying it's not doing very much, but I have a real problem over the last two and a half years saying it's up 10% total and the number should be 50 I mean, they're doing the same thing with home home stuff now as they did, they've done with medical expenses for the last 20 years. They still have medical stuff as 7% of somebody's basket, and they don't, they've don't they never even come close to picking up, you know, the part that was uh, 10 years ago, an overnight stay in a hospital was like two grand, and now it's 10. And they're not even, right here I'm looking at this, rent of primary residence was up 0.8%. It's actually creeping through more than it was before even though rents probably have stabilized. But hell, it's it's 7.9% of somebody's basket. Yeah. Who, who do you well, know? Rent is, you're saying rent is rising, right? Well, it's probably because people can't uh, get a house. Right, but and I'm... So, well, what yeah. I'm, my point is... Increasing it, demand up, relative to the... What's up, yeah. It's up this month. I don't know that rent is really up this month, but over the last year, it's got it up 7.9%. Well, that's a pipe dream, right? And they also have it... 7.4% of somebody's basket. Name me anybody you know that pays rent and it's only 7% of their paycheck. Yeah. I mean, those well, are especially the... Especially no- if, if you're below the 50, uh, the median income, right? If you're yeah. below the 50 min- medium income, uh, it's going to be a bigger chunk of your, your I, th- I think there's people that are 50 and 60% of their paycheck's rent. That's 7. Yeah, especially in a place like New York City. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they've got owner's equivalent rent of, of, a, of a residence, 24% of, of somebody's basket. And I'm going to guarantee you that if we get Nancy on here and she doesn't know anybody, or I, well, she probably knows some people, some people pay cash because they sold a house, but I mean, I'm sure she doesn't know anybody of a, a normal working relationship, guy and, guy and a lady with a kid or two kids, it's 24% of their paycheck is a mortgage and all the other parts that goes with it, mortgage, insurance, taxes. Na- name me that person. Yeah. But, I well, mean, you know the, the nature of the nature of averages, though. When you put everybody, rich people, poor people, middle income people, if you put everybody in the same pool and you average something, um, some metric uh, across all those different people, you're you're going to get misleading numbers. And here's an, here's a great example for the audience. If you were to measure the average height of Utah Jazz basketball players, you're probably looking at what six five, six six. Yeah, and, and then. It, and you just average the number of people who are in the locker room, right? And then my son goes into into the locker room, and then you you take the average. The average would come down. What that means is, um, you it, it's misleading. It doesn't mean that uh, players all of a sudden are shorter, right? And a lot of times people will think, oh, when the average falls, that means everybody's got less. Well, no, that's not the case at all. If you're if your uh, uh, income is Put you in the top fifty percent of the income distribution, you're probably not feeling it. It's like savings and debt, right? Yeah. People keep saying that he has all the savings and the savings being worked up. Well, who has that savings? I don't think anybody in the the bottom fifty percent have that that kind of savings, and so they're working off of credit cards and their salary, and for that reason, and they're running out of room on their credit card. They don't have any savings, and that's when they have to take that extra job. Right. And when they take that extra job, the household employment number does not change. When a person adds a second job, 
the employer survey goes up by one, but the household survey stays the same, and there's this divergence there. So there's a lot of, the data is very misleading, and, and people who are fans of the administration are going to pick their metrics, and people who are not fans of the administration are going to pick their metrics, and then you think that the other side is lying. And that's the problem with these statistics. Well, I think... I also think that ahead, if, you're, if you're talking about a, a two-income household, like a family that has two-income people, right, which is, I assume, most families now, um, those percentages are a little make a little bit more sense. In what way? The mortgage percentage. It's not, it's, it's you know, I look at Jill and I, ours is probably about 12% of, of the, our, our total mortgage tax, uh, HOA, all that stuff versus our our income. Well, you guys are doing good then. I don't well, think you're normal. Well, I mean, it's, it's, well, it's, it's buying a house you can afford. That's one thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's not buying a house that you can't afford. And it's two people working. But I assume that... Well, unfortunately, unfortunately Matt, the, uh, the, the policymakers want everybody to buy a house. And they artificially set interest rates low so people go in and buy a house they can't afford. What I try to do is I try to do like Matt does. I try to buy a house that is well within my means. But a lot of people um, take these really low interest rates, these mortgages, and they buy a house that they um, can barely afford when times are good. But when when the economy starts to uh, slow, it gets a little harder to make those mortgage payments. And I think I think you're, you're, you and your wife are doing a great job making these decisions, and you're not falling for the, the Fed's uh, um game here where they artificially lower the interest rates to dupe you into buying a, a new house that you can barely afford when times are good, right? So I think and that's the problem. Like, during the financial crisis, uh, my aunt and uncle, who I love dearly, uh, before the financial crisis, they, you know, they're empty nesters, their kids are all gone. They went out and bought an extremely large house for just them, too. And when the housing bubble burst, the value of their home went way down, they had to be a part of that program where they got their interest um, subsidized, artificially lowered, and their principal artificially lowered. Meanwhile, I had purchased a house well with my means, even though the realtor was pushing me to buy a high-end home. Right? So I got, I, I, I didn't get, I didn't get rewarded for making a good decision. I actually got punished relative to people who had made bad decisions, and I think that happens a lot. Well, I think that the uh, whatever numbers you're looking at, I mean, if, if you actually get down to the to the nitty gritty, I mean, and, and Maddie's right. I mean, depending on your situation, but what they're look they're talking about here, Matt, they're not just talking about your mortgage. They're talking about, I mean, if you if you buy a place, say you buy a place in Orland, it's you know whatever two fifty or something, which you know you're lucky to find a house, and say three hundred, your mortgage is going to be what seventeen hundred. Your taxes are a G minimum. Your insurance is there. You've got, you know, all, all this is included here. You're, 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 yeah, you're, it's all it's all baked in. It's yeah. all it's all, all baked in. But you, look, I'm counting that. But I'm saying if you're talking about three thousand a month total to live in the place, uh, you know, and if it's seven percent, that that's a that's a two hundred and forty thousand dollar income, and most families do not have that. You're being, I'm saying you're you're, you're average. Yeah, I think the I think the median the median household monthly income is probably what five. It's like sixty. 5, sixty 000. grand a year. Yeah, it's like five grand yeah. a year. Yeah. yeah. Totally. I, well, I five thousand yeah. a month, six thousand yeah. a month. Yeah. I understand yeah. I understand that. But that again, like how I was talking about earlier, that's where averages come in. You have people on on all ends of this 
and I'm just saying, yeah. not, not everyone is, is as underwater as you're making it no, sound. No, but I'm saying, I, I look at, I look but at I, the median. I realize that some people are. I'm, I'm just looking at, at the median, and, and, and my, my point is, and, and, and granted, I, I don't think people are a bunch of dummies. You and Jill made the right decision, and, and it's working for you. My, my, my point is... It is until you want to move for a bigger place, yeah. and now the interest rates are, are quadruple, uh, are quadruple uh, than, than when you bought. That's, that's int- that'll be interesting. Oh, we're, 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 my well, a, year, a year ago in Utah, you know, I was talking to a realtor friend of mine, and I go, hey, man, business must be really good. I was refereeing a game, and he was, running the, uh, he was keeping score in the book next to the uh, timekeeper. And I go, man, business must be really good. And he goes, no, it sucks. And I go, why? I mean, home prices are opportunity. He goes, there's no inventory. Yeah. Nobody wants to move because if they sell, what are we going to move into? <laughs> yeah, but you'd have to downsize basically to you keep your to. monthly payment respectable. But I, I guess where, where I'm, I, I'm, I'm taking a, a, I'm saying how good are these numbers over over the long pull? And it's my, what message are they giving to people? And I think the message is well, seven percent over a year. I mean, if, if inflation was, say, uh, close to 1% a year ago, uh, and you had 7% this year, it might not have been a big deal, but if inflation's like 5% or 4% a year ago, then you add on to it the 7% this year, and your your wages haven't kept up, your budget's getting really squeezed tight. And you're having, you're having and if you have an emergency, like, you got, like your car breaks down, or your HVC goes out, now you're in real trouble, right? Because you don't have any savings, and that's the problem. Is over time, uh, your living expenses are kind of held constant, but as as prices go up, right? You're, you have this income that's held constant because you're not switching from job to job. You're not job hopping to get a higher salary like they do in Utah in the, in the tech industry. But if your salary is basically pretty steady through time, and prices are rising seven percent annually, that that disposable income is getting smaller and smaller and smaller every month and eventually it might go negative and then you start uh, piling on the credit card debt well and i think you're seeing that with with debt right now well you're seeing i mean I'm, I'm looking at these are the long-term numbers you can, you can blame uh oh hell a little bit but mostly carl I'm looking at the debt clock here the median new home this is median man you know granted the averages get you the the mean gets you a different number you're, you're correct on that uh you're correct on just about everything you said. Uh, median home in 2000 was 168. Median home now is 440. But a median income of this of an individual in 2000 was 32, and now they've got it 36. Say, say it's 40. Now, yeah, the average family now has two people working, which now brings up. I mean, you're 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 in you're in Jill's net, not getting into your dirty laundry, has to now include your childcare. Where that where it, it didn't before because only one person. Yep. I mean, you're now in a situation where the phenomenon. And you missed a couple of Mondays ago. Nancy was talking about how, and that's why some of these labor numbers are getting so weird. The the, the difference between the household and the uh, and the establishment survey, as Hal just mentioned, if 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 you call somebody's household and they say is Matt working, the answer is yeah. Okay, but if if you call uh, your your current place of business. And they say, yeah, but Matt, well, you're not, we have Matt working here. But if you're delivering pizzas at night and you call the pizza joint, they're saying Matt's working here. You counted twice there. You only counted once in the household survey. And the phenomenon that, that uh, what Nancy's seeing is that not only are the guy might be an accountant somewhere and the wife does whatever she's done. She could be an accountant somewhere. She could be a nurse. She could be whatever. The guy could be a nurse. He never does everything these days. But now you're seeing 
that now the guy on Saturdays is either doing uh, accountants for the local bar or he's doing people's taxes. You're starting to see people piling on. So he really has he has two jobs, she has one, or maybe she's even doing God knows what, doing hair on a Saturday. I mean, it, it's, it's starting to pile over even from two people working just to make ends meet. Because the numbers we're talking about are, are overwhelming in terms of what median incomes are. I mean, I, I just, they just are. I mean, it, I mean, they, they've got, I was looking at this, when I'm, at the consumer price index here, they've got the price of, uh, get a load of this, uh, where is it? I got it here somewhere. Health insurance is like less than 1% of somebody's basket. Who do you know that actually has to buy their own health insurance that pays a fifth a month for their health insurance and they pay for gasoline? I mean, really? I mean, you know, what are we talking about? I mean, some of this is just people who work for somebody and the, and the firm pays their, their salary or pays their in, their insurance. What do you suppose your insurance is from the, from the hospital uh, or from, from, the, from the college? You know, it's got to be with four kids in the family, I'm going to say they're paying 2500 a month for you. Yeah, I, you know, but it is New York State, so but I think I'm, insurance policies tend to be more. I bet's what they are here. More services, so we'll probably live more than that. But the, okay, and 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 you got a deductible five times what it was ten years ago. Yeah. Am I right? Well, my my deductible. We haven't had to use our health insurance yet, and honestly, I haven't even looked into it because I've been teaching all these different classes, and we just moved, and it was like the Beverly Hillbillies. We threw all of our stuff in our van. Yeah. Well. <laughs> The last week of August and drove, and then I had to start a job. So uh, I haven't even actually had a chance to even look at our benefits yet. I'm just kind of hoping that it's good. <laughs> well, I mean, since 2000, I, I did a little. Re- there, it's up three times for most companies, and that's with probably kicking stuff. And, and all I'm saying is, at some point, you've got to look at the CPI. And if you and I, uh, we have to, we, we have to put, you know, ten hells, but I wouldn't be ten hells. But some people in Rome would say, let's go over to big items here over the last 20 years. Are we even close? And if you're not close, you're either kind of doing it on purpose or, 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 or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I mean, what is, what is the, what was it? I mean, somewhere on this page, there's a thing about an automobile in 2000 versus it is now. I mean, it's up three times. I mean, we're, eh, maybe not three. The, 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 the median car probably. But I'm going to say, I bought well, the, the household. The household has changed a lot, too. If you look at one-person households, in, uh, like, 1960, there's only 13% of the population. 13% of households are one person. Today, 28%, right? Right. In 2000, it's 26. So it's been pretty flat since the year 2000. But if you look at uh, single parents with children, it was 4% in 1960, 7% in 1980, and it's been hovering at 9 or 10 uh, since the 2000. So... Household, the household in America has changed quite a bit. You know, you have fewer kids per household. Uh, you tend to have uh, more one-person households. Uh, Single-parent households are slightly up. So, the, the household in America has changed quite a bit. And oh, yeah. the and, but the funny thing about it is the median house itself, what is considered to be the median house, the median house in America has probably gotten maybe two, three times larger than it was. In the 1960s, in the 1960s, a median house was probably one bathroom, a small kitchen, oh, yeah. a dining oh, yeah. room, and three bedrooms, right? But today, uh, it seems like every kid has their own bathroom, right? In a, in oh, a house there, there's, there's, so there's no doubt. The there house is, has changed. It's gotten bigger, but households have shrunk. Well, there, there, there's no question. And I, it, I mean, uh, and I, I think obviously there's a, there's a difference between a car today than there was in 2000. I mean, it's, yeah. it, there's no doubt it's better. 
I mean, it, so there's there's a quality. But I, my my point is is that somewhere along the line, you, you can't you can't keep peeing on people's toes and telling them it's raining. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, every once in a while, you need somewhat of a revision in these numbers, and we just don't get it. When you, when you when you lock in buying a person when you purchase a house and you stay in it for 20 30 years like some people do and you're paying this mortgage every month and you don't refinance it and you have your you don't change jobs and you have this you know the same position for 10 years five percent inflation can destroy your budget because uh, prices don't increase linearly they increase geometrically yeah. so you can get squeezed pretty quick. Well, there's, there's, and there's five, six, seven percent inflation. There's, there's no doubt, and I, well, that, that's my point. I mean, I think I don't, I don't know. If you want to change the CPI, Edwin, but someday, somewhere, whether it's a, a university that publishes it or somebody, let's just say, so, pick, pick two thousand, pick nineteen ninety, pick whenever the hell you want to pick it, but pick a day and say, this is what's really happened, and this is what the published number are, and and I think you know, I, I, I just eyeball the stuff. I mean, I not only eyeball it, but I mean. I mean, even even your your taxes in Illinois. I mean, I got to believe that your property taxes, Matty. When you get the bill, what are you? You forty nine, fifty two percent is local school, something like that. Never looked at it. Uh, well, that's why you have a wife. She takes care of all this. That's exactly. why. You, that's why you never worry about anything. She worries about everything. That's that's looking at the ball games, man. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> but I mean, so that that was up almost three three times. I mean, your your college education is up. Three, so someplace somewhere. There needs to be somewhat of a maybe. Maybe we just as as, as a part of society, uh, Hal. When I was down in Notre Dame Saturday. Notre Dame is not is not for me anymore. It's not it's not for Southside Catholic kids whose parents you know made some dough that could pay the tuition. That's that's not what that place. Yeah, like Rudy. Is. Yeah, that place is not like that anymore. It's it has no, yeah. It's for people that can afford seventy five grand a year. Their kids want to be in a. A hotel, not a dorm. They want to eat the best stuff every night, not just a dining hall. It's it's it's. Have for, you been in the uh, physical yeah. fitness rooms, the, the rec centers? Oh, I've, I've seen a couple of them, but I mean, it's it's a it's a different yeah. world, and there's people that are willing yeah. to pay for it, or people willing to borrow it. It's not it's not for most of our. A lot of this is behavioral. It's it's, it's this is what we're doing. I mean, the, the top ten percent. Really doesn't give a rat's ass about the the bottom ninety percent. A lot of cases, you, you yeah. When the White House, when, when politicians, uh, when people in the media, people who live in New York and are on NBC and CBS say hey, everything's just fine, I'm like thinking, I think you need to get outside your bubble, dude. Seriously, but you the, get but, outside your bubble and walk around. But you, if you're in that group, you're perfectly happy to hang in that bubble. Why, yeah. why wouldn't you be? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so hell. Well, I, think, the, I think the people, I think the people in North Korea, is, uh, the, the people that run North Korea, the country itself. The, the people in the, the bureaucracy, um, the dictator, they're probably all thinking, hey, life's pretty good. But you look at all the people who, if they don't cry, cry loud enough when the uh, deceased leader's casket uh, goes by in parade, if they don't cry loud enough, they get thrown in a slave labor camp, right? Yeah, well, it's not that extreme here in the United States, but again, you have people at the top, people in the media, people who work for government, whose salaries increase probably fast in the rate of inflation, I would oh, yeah. expect. They have incredible benefits. Have no chance of being laid off. They can't be just willy nilly fired. They're doing great, but man, I'll tell you, average Americans, uh, median household income or lower Americans, they're feeling the the squeeze of prices rising every month by seven percent year over year. They're feeling that squeeze. So this number being what it is, does this mean we're going back to two percent interest rates and stocks to the moon, and we're going back to the happy land, or no? I think I think the Fed's going to. 
I think the Fed's going to kind of hold out and probably maybe <clears throat> not, maybe not raise as fast, but I think they're going to go probably maybe 50 basis points, maybe at some point go to 25 basis points increases. I think they're going to kind of level off a little bit, and they're going to hold it kind of high for a while and see what happens. Well, they whatever, usually go too far. Well, first of all, 4%, 4% is not high. Yeah. I mean, whatever, but I know, it's talk, not high. Yeah. yeah. Talk at your next. But where, week, where it's been at, where it's been at, it's relatively high, right? Because it's a hundred percent. It's a four hundred percent increase from the uh, levels when it was at one one one. Well, yeah. Uh, one percent. Well, someday right? we'll so talk about should it ever increase. should it ever have been there, and did they ever get anything by doing that? Anyway, how we'll talk next week. But SP futures up one seventeen, big number. Nasdaq futures up four fifty, big big number. Back tomorrow, stocks and jacks. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.